The Commercial Real Estate Show is an informative radio program for thought-provoking enlightenment. The show, nor the station, host, or guests through this show audio are providing legal, accounting, or other fiduciary advice. For representation to suit your specific requirements, engage an experienced professional familiar with your company, property sector, and market area. For recommendations to professional providers to suit your endeavors, you're invited to contact the host at CommercialRealEstateShow.com. Enjoy. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. Learn market knowledge and best practices to lead your company's success. And that's whatever type of company you work with and laugh. I believe we have to have some fun along the way. Well, hello, I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. We're coming to you from our beautiful new studio here in Atlanta. We've been on the air for nearly three years now. We're on 12 stations around the country and multiple online stations. In the last few weeks, we started broadcasting from our own state-of-the-art studio called Studio One here in Atlanta. Check out the new studio for yourself at CommercialRealEstateShow.com. If you have any questions or comments about our topic today or the show in general, or if you just want to say hello, we do appreciate hearing from you. Our phone number is 888-612-SHOW, or you can reach us by email at info at CREshow.com. You're also invited to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Google+. You can find them all at the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. And if you're playing a drinking game on website mentions, uh, you're going to need a driver after this show. (laughs) Well, today we're going to explore the student housing industry. The student housing market was a fairly stable sector throughout the downturn as a popular investment choice in the U.S. today. We'll look at the market, what's shaping it, and what to expect moving forward. Let's start with a look at the market with Ron Johnsey, president with Axiometrics, an industry-leading multifamily research firm. They survey more than 25,000 properties in over 300 markets and uh, totaling more than 4.8 million units. And in the student housing, uh, they look at 1,400 student housing properties in over 200 markets. Ron Johnsey, welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Hey, Michael. Glad to be here. Well, thank you, Ron. And and just how is the student housing sector performing right now around the country? Well, we can say uh, by looking at the pre-lease rates, which, uh, you know, everybody's tracking, you know, how how well occupied are we going to be in the fall of uh, this year? And if we do that, it's about the same as last year. At this point in time, uh, using our May data, it's around 71% versus 70%. Now, there are some universities, you know, that are, you know, have high pre-leasing rates at this point, like, you know, Penn State, they're like 96%, Carolina, South Carolina is at 92 And some of the slower, a couple of slower universities are University of Central Florida at 59% and the University of Illinois. Now, as you well know, distance from uh, the campus battery really has an impact on how well uh, these properties uh, lease up. And just to give an example, uh, University of Texas down in Austin uh, the West Campus is really coming to its own, and it's like within a half a mile of the campus uh, boundaries. The properties there are al- already like 74% pre-lease, but if you go about three miles out, uh, you know, the pre-lease rate is 61%. So, you know, that's one thing you really need to look at. The closer to the uh, a pr- closer a property is to the uh, campus boundaries, typically the better they perform. Uh, when we look at how rents are going, we see them going up at a rate, annualized rates of 25 to 5%. You know, it really depends on which university market. Uh, Michigan State is showing the highest growth at almost 11%, uh, which is really, really phenomenal. 
uh, in terms of occupancy, it really depends on how, uh, how well they pre-leased up. And uh, we can say that, uh, you know, in May, the, the, you know, if you're really well occupied, uh, that's a sign of pretty good market. And uh, some of the better occupied uh, universities that uh, through May were like LSU, Michigan State, Penn State, Texas State, Maryland, and University of Texas. So I, I guess to sum up, uh, conditions right now really look good uh, for uh, the student housing market. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, how did the sector perform during the recession? Has student housing been more or less resilient than some of the other uh, sectors? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think it is definitely resistant to recessions. I mean, I, I wouldn't go as far as say maybe it's a uh, recession proof, but uh, when we look at what happens in a recession, we seem to tend to see more people enroll in school. Uh, they go back to school. They want to get more education. They think that will help their uh, job and earning prospects. And then you look at just, you know, the demographics. Uh, the millennials or the echo boom generations, and those are the people born, say, between 1982 and 2003. There are over 4 million of these persons, uh, you know, of the age, you know, college, let's call it college age. So you've got this huge demand even though you're in a recession. And uh, when you look at some forecasts of enrollment growth, uh, some people say it can average like 1.5% a year. And I think this, given the, uh, the millennial generation becoming of age, uh, it could last at least till 2022. Then you got other things that really help it, such as decreased, uh, the states or some states have less money to appropriate uh, to update their, you know, on-campus facilities. Uh, we see, and as a result of that, the on-campus housing is falling as, present, as a percentage of the overall university enrollment, which is, which is increasing. And then, uh, you know, just you know, one way, real hard proof of how uh, they performed during the recession, you can look at like American campus communities. Uh, their rent growth, let's say, revenue growth in 2007 was about 4.1%. Well, in the 2009, in the depth of the uh, Great Recession, they were still, their revenue growth was like 2%, and their occupancy rates even went up. Now, EDR didn't do quite as well, but it didn't, you know, its rent growth didn't, uh, it, its rent growth went from like 4.4 in 2007 to minus 1.7. But when we look at this compared to the conventional apartments, it performs far better. Uh, for example, effective rent growth at, at the trough for the Great Recession fell about 6.2%. And then you look at Oxy, Oxy went, went down about 300 basis points. So if you're looking for a, a sector to invest in, you know, student housing is uh, a good one. It's more defensive uh, because of its uh, resilience. So, so the demographics have really helped apartments and student housing is what you're saying there. And, and how close does it correlate to apartments? I mean, I think some people would think that the student housing is just apartments with more bedrooms and, and more beds, but, but it, does, it, does it close that closely track? that the, the two sectors yeah yeah they obviously uh, uh closely track it's better to have a uh, a stronger uh let's say a stronger apartment market which probably means you're going to have a strong student housing market uh and we just saw if you get into a real deep recession uh both you know uh, both asset types are going to be affected but the uh student housing would be less affected 
Okay. We're talking with Ron Jonesy with Axiometrics about student housing. And, and Rod, what do you expect about performance moving forward? This all sounds like good news. So do you expect a bull market uh, moving forward in student housing? Yeah, but let me, yeah, let me, let me say that. Uh, yes, but this year will probably be one of the, the weakest years we've seen, uh, let's say, over the past four to five years. Uh, student housing, like the Fenchel Park apartment market, benefited from uh, having a real lack of supply. And so, you know, as we came out of the, the downturn in 2009, there was not much supply. But what's happening, uh, we see a lot of uh, potential uh, units, uh, you know, beds entering the market, and that's going to have an effect on rent growth. So we, we're looking at rent growth of about 2.8 percent, uh, you know, this year. And that would be the trough. But then after that, we think it could average almost 3.7%. And, you know, actually should be in the 96% range over the next four years. So we think the outlook's great. But like, like most, most uh, things, you've got you to look at it by market. And if there's oversupply, that's really the big problem. If we get oversupply, then, uh, you know, it affects uh, these numbers. Okay. And how much supply do you expect to see uh, this year? Well, we're, we're seeing a record number uh, this year. Uh, we're looking at almost 50,000 beds to be delivered in over 200-something markets uh, this year. And that is just, that's a record number uh, as far as we can determine. And so that, you know, that's the reason why we think that, you know, rent growth is not going to be as, you know, robust as it has been. Uh, you know, and so, you, but still, again, you need to look at, you know, individual markets and, uh, individual universities and for example uh, University of Texas delivering like 2,300 beds this year uh, A&M like 1,900 University of Arizona 1,700 Florida State uh, close to 1,700 and so it's really more of uh, an event uh, by university but there are some factors that I think are going to impact uh, more supply coming into the market uh, looking further out and that's for example uh, construction costs. Construction costs are going up maybe one to one and a half percent a month. Uh, there are labor shortages uh, in some markets. Uh, you know, the markets where you have single family rebounding as well as conventional, that's where you have uh, a problem with labor. So it's just, you know, costs are going up. It makes it more difficult to, you know, pencil, you know, pencil in these deals. Some other factors affecting us. Uh, we're going to be, you know, rising interest rates. Well, Ron, thanks That's for sharing risk. your insight with us today. If you'd like more from Ron, visit axiometrics.com. That's A-X-I-O metrics. Stay tuned. More insight for you. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related topics, check out our on-demand show podcast. For example, we recently produced a show on buying and selling notes in distressed real estate featuring interviews from the IMN Special Assets Conference. Last week, we interviewed the national presidents of some of the major associations like BOMA, SIOR, and NAOP. There are lots of interesting shows to choose from. You can access them on your computer, tablet, or smartphone. Just visit iTunes or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. 
Well, today we're exploring the student housing industry. Please welcome my next guest, Ted Rollins, co-chairman of the board and chief executive officer of Campus Crest. Campus Crest is a leading developer, builder, owner, and manager of high-quality, purpose-built student housing properties located across the country. Ted Rollins, th uh, welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. And, and the student housing uh, market has seemed to be a healthy market. Where is the growth in the sector? Well, Michael, it's interesting. You know, since the very beginning when we started the company, we looked in this market and <clears throat> basically we broke it into a couple of segments. Uh, one segment was what we call the flagship schools. And the flagship schools are those schools that, that, that are the name brand in the uh, state in which the state school system is. So, for example, in Georgia, it's University of Georgia or Georgia Tech uh, for the most part. And <clears throat> that state school system has many other schools that we call non-flagship schools that are equally as uh, good. The diplomas are great. It's a great value for education. In Georgia, for example, you've got uh, University of West Georgia in Carrollton. You've got Georgia State in uh, in uh, uh, Milledgeville, Georgia, and so these are what we call the non-flagship schools. And we believe that the growth, and it's it's proven out by the numbers, uh, in the student housing sector is in these non-flagship schools. So as a as a focus, our company focuses on the non-flagship schools, which is roughly about 67 to 70 percent of our portfolio. And then what we like to call is the large schools in a small town, which would be the flagship schools, but mostly in small towns uh, that, that are things like um, Penn State, for example, where we have a project opening this summer. Uh, but most of that growth is really being driven by value because if you look at the schools, uh, these non-flagship schools, they generally tend to have a better tuition value prop rate, uh, uh, proposition. And they're about 17% less in tuition than the flagship schools. And they're, they're almost by a factor of three times less than the private alternative. And so we've seen in this economy and the kind of the new economy, uh, people focusing more on these non-flagships due to their value and the quality of education that the students are getting. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic shifting uh, in our country. Now, that's interesting, Ted. So what else is uh, creating the growth in this sector? Well, another thing we've seen, Michael, is that if you look at this sector and try to understand what's driving, what are the underpinnings of the growth, you've got several factors that, that are going on here. Uh, you've got more kids uh, as an absolute percentage graduating from high school. So the Department of Education statistics show that there's more kids actually on a, on a percentage basis graduating from high school. So those are graduation of those graduating seniors out of high school, there's a higher percentage of those kids going to full-time college. <clears throat> and then if you look at the college average length of stay, kids are staying five years for the most part now. Uh, you know, they may not be able to get a course uh, that they need. They may, they may just have a lighter course load, but they're staying longer. So the average stay is right around, you know, five years. It's moved up some. And then finally, which is really important and we focus on, is this international student uh, enrollment, and that has grown tremendously over the last you know, 10 years. And that's not only here, it's in Canada, where we just purchased a property in Montreal, uh, as well as other markets like the UK and Australia. There's a big demand on an English-speaking education. So those are kind of the things that we see, first and foremost, as driving that growth. Well, that's great, because the sector seems to be healthy and has been healthy. What about student loan rates? Uh, if, is that, if those adjust, how could that affect the sector? 
Well, I talked about that the other day. And, you know, if you look at the, the student loan business, I guess, as, as a uh, kind of whole, or if you look at the enrollment of our, of our schools as a whole, you know, roughly 47 to 50% of these kids have no loans. So that's, that's part of the, part of the uh, story. Okay. So a lot of them don't have loans. Uh, the second part of that story is that if you take the default rate on, on student uh, debt, um, and it's just based on that portion of the demographic does have the loan, that's about 7%. Um, now, if you take it on the broader student population, it's about 3% default rate. Um, now, if you, if you look at why that default occurs, it's really because of uh, the fact that most of this is being driven by students that don't graduate with a college degree. So taking back to your original question, you know, at the rates that we were underwriting student loans at, which were pretty low, and you look at the default rate, uh, basically what the problem is is that you don't have enough interest to cover your default rate, and so it's not a sustainable situation. So by increasing the interest rate, and I think what they were talking about is like 300 basis points. Um, yes, it's a lot given the relativity of that to the current rate. If you look at it based on the way we see things and the student loan side of the, the equation, you know, a lot of the kids that go to our schools, uh, our schools have an average tuition of about 8000 bucks a year. And some of them have some, uh, they work, some have partial financial aid. So it's likely that those kids are going to graduate with 50 grand in loans. Uh, <clears throat> there's a major difference graduating from college, your wage earning capacity as well as unemployment. Uh, it's just a tremendous difference as you get up to uh, a student graduating from college. So you graduate from college, you have a $50,000 loan. What you're really talking about is a 300 basis point increment cost to that student, which is roughly, you know, on a $50,000 average outstanding, $1,500 a year. It doesn't sink the ship. And what it does, in our opinion, is it really gives a sustainable uh, approach to the student loan business, which will continue to have that in place, which will continue to help kids get education. So it's not way out there. Uh, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty good plan. People are focused on the long term. I think it's a positive long term for our industry. Okay, so it could be a positive because it keeps student loans uh, available for students. Well, that's interesting. And student housing has changed a lot in the last several years. How has it changed, and what have you done there at Campus Crest in that regard? Well, it, it, has, it has changed, Michael. And, you know, what we've, what we've noticed is, is that a couple of things. You know, we, we have several brands that we operate. Uh, you know, we operate a, a brand called Copper Beach, which is more of an independent townhouse uh, product. <clears throat> we purchased that uh, earlier this year. It's an excellent product for seniors and gradual, uh, graduate students. Um, and then we have our undergraduate program that is uh, uh, really focused and is called The Grove. And the Grove uh, has a lot of uh, amenities. It has certain things that the kids like to do. But the number one thing uh, you know, that we think it's all about with these students, and we think that if we've done this, I think we lead the industry in it, is the residence life program. So engaging the students in our program called SCORES, and SCORES, it really stands for Social, Cultural, Outreach, Recreational, Educational, and Sustainable. And we take these students that are coming with us, and while they're getting their degree, we're creating a social infrastructure for them. They're engaged in our communities. We have activities ongoing, uh, anything from, you know, volleyball games to community outreach. Uh, we've got quite a broad array. And that's one big thing, I think, you know, rather than just throwing them in an apartment and letting them kind 
be on their own. Well, that, that, that's extremely time. helpful, Ted. And we said we wouldn't keep you long. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Mike. For more on Campus Crest, visit campuscrest.com. We have a lot more in store for you on the student housing industry. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404 832 8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We do appreciate hearing from you. So if you have any questions or comments, be sure to circle, like, tweet, email, or call us. All our information is at commercialrealestateshow.com. Today we're exploring the student housing industry. Please welcome Miles Orth, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Campus Apartments. Campus Apartments, founded in 1958, is one of the nation's largest developers, owners, and managers of student housing, with more than 32,000 beds in 24 states, serving over 70 colleges and universities around the country. Miles, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Great. Thank you. And uh, please also welcome David Nelson, Vice President with Carter. Carter, founded in 1958, is one of the country's leading real estate investment development and advisory firms with landmark mixed-use, multifamily, and innovative student housing projects under construction around the country. David, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Michael. And uh, guys, I'd like to, to start off asking you what you're seeing uh, in, in, the, in the properties that you own and manage. So, so Miles, for property level performance in student housing in, in your markets, what do you see? Uh, Campus Apartments operates in 26 states um, across the country, so we have a pretty broad look at things. And um, we're looking at about 300 basis points above on a year-over-year basis last year's performance from a pre-leasing standpoint. Keep in mind, student housing is unique in that we're pre-leasing as early as September of the uh, year before for the uh, next academic year. So we're seeing about we're seeing uh, strength on the pre-leasing rents. Different story. We're looking, you know, we're in the two to two and a half percent increase on rent growth on a year-over-year basis. Um, the story there, though, I think compared to the conventional marketplace, conventional multifamily, is that uh, we've been steady through the recessionary period and have had enjoyed pretty good rent growth um, in each year, uh, really, for the last 10 years. Um, but there's a little softness due to some oversupply in specific markets that's having an overall effect on our, our rent growth. Yeah, well, that's nice that uh, that the, the sector did well through the recession. And, Miles, some people would think that apartments and, and student housing is is very similar in management and uh, those sorts of things. What, what what are some of the differences you see in management between apartments and student housing? I think there's there's three key differences. One is the seasonality of the leasing. So, you know, compared to conventional multifamily where you're leasing you know, each month in effect, um, in student housing you're leasing as long as a, a year in advance for a future term. The other key difference, and this can't be understated, is turnover. Um, so in student housing, you may be retaining 35 to 40% of your residents each year. The rest are moving on to other apartments or graduating. So you're turning 60 to 65% of your apartments in a two-week period. Um, so having the, the staff and the management capability to handle that is, is huge. And the other key difference, I think, is the relationship with the university. 
Um, obviously, conventional apartment managers have to have close relationships with area businesses, the chamber, uh, those types of things. But the connection of the nexus between a student housing operator and the university they serve is incredibly important. And you have to have teams on site that understand that. Yeah, that's a good point. And David, talk to us about construction. What might surprise people with uh, the difference between building apartments versus uh, building student housing? You know, I'm really going to echo what Miles said, and it kind of comes down to two words in our mind. It's hotel rooms. Um, you know, student housing construction is extremely binary. You, you win or you lose. And in multifamily, if you miss, if you miss the day, by a month, you pay a little bit extra interest carry, you pay some preferred return to your investors. But from a student housing perspective, you've got 600 kids or whatever the number is coming August 15th. And if you miss the day, you're paying both of those things that you're paying in multifamily, but you're also looking for hotel rooms um, so that you don't completely miss a full year's leasing cycle. Wow, because that, that could be really big. And what about some of the amenities? Uh, are you are you building more amenities in student housing than you are in apartments today? Yeah, from a from an urban multifamily perspective, which is what we look at a lot, we rely a lot on the 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 fabric of the city and the in the activity centers of the city to to provide the the nightlife or the excitement for the tenant. And so we'll shrink the size of the unit. We'll do a little bit less amenities. It's still amenitized um, from a student housing perspective. Um, what you've seen a lot of developers, particularly the ones that move further away from campus. Um, it's it's trying to provide almost an all-inclusive environment for students where they can study and be productive students where they can um, where they can hang out um, and have places to, to to have fun without leaving campus if you would which campus being your your project right and we're short on the break but what are a couple quick amenities that might surprise people that you have in student housing today you know, it's 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 everything. There's you know everything is in the project. The resort style pools with you know different tiers and levels of of in the pool um, golf simulators, um, just about anything you can think of. And you said tanning beds earlier. Oh, tanning beds are huge. It's uh, it's it's still happening surprisingly. All right. All right, we're gonna take a quick break here. Stay tuned for more intel on the student housing market. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Cone Resnick, accounting and tax advisory services. Visit ConeResnick.com. Cone, C-O-H-N, Resnick, R-E-Z-N-I-C-K. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We've been working on some incredible new shows for you, including next week's show on the office market, and the following week we'll cover the retail sector. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're exploring the student housing industry. My guests are David Nelson with Carter and Miles Orth with Campus Apartment. And, Miles, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about the what students are demanding in their space today. What are some of the design features and amenities you see in student housing today? Yeah, it's really amazing. Sort of think Disney-like, uh, resort <laughs> clubhouses, high-end finishes. Of course, you've got Bed Bath Parity, but uh, you're looking at uh, multi-level clubhouses, um, the golf simulation, of course, the uh, tanning beds, um, the cafes, uh, spas, 
uh, nail salons. It's unbelievable. It's certainly not your dad's uh, student housing. And uh, but really, if you if you think resort and then think high end uh, Disney like type of uh, locations, that's what that's what's being built out there and uh, um, added to. And that's something that's really grown. Students go to what's new, and so developers feel the pressure to be able to add something unique and different each time a new product comes into a market. Well, my high school children are going to be glad to hear about those uh, Disney amenities. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and what, and uh, David, what about the proximity to campus? How important is it to be close to campus in this industry? Yeah, I would say the, the most important amenity that you can offer is proximity to campus. Um, you know, the, the industry continues to involve, evolve. The, um, the amenities continue to evolve. Everyone adds the next best amenity. The car gets a little bit shinier every single time, but you cannot replace a great location. And at the end of the day, students that are living further away from campus, you know, it comes to a point in time where they're going to be frustrated with being late to class because they couldn't find a parking space or uh, they got a DOI, DUI on the drive home. Because um, the reality is activity centers, bars, um, places that kids like to go out, eat, they're next to campus. Classes are at campus, so they want to be as close to campus as they can possibly be. Okay. And what about cost of construction? You, t- you guys talked about the uh, heavy amenities. Uh, you've got to be r- really close to campus uh, is another great amenity. How do construction costs uh, differ from student housing, say, compared to regular apartments, David? You know, student housing, um, from a standpoint of building, you know, a four-bed, four-bath, you get to spread the costs um, of a kitchen over four bedrooms as opposed to maybe one or two bedrooms in, in an apartment, in a multifamily apartment. But then you're, you're, you're going over the top on the amenities and spending a lot of extra money there. So uh, when, when we look at it, you know, we kind of look at it from the standpoint of Sticks are sticks. Um, the, the guy laying tile or carpet, he doesn't know if he's in a student housing project or a multifamily project. Um, the costs are pretty similar. Um, you know, the real question is how monetized are you going to be? What's the product level? How is it going to be a super luxury product, project or, or not? And so um, we look at it pretty similar and just depends on what you want to do. Okay. And Miles, what are you seeing with some of your projects? Yeah, I, w- I guess I would just echo exactly what uh, David has said. So there's not a huge difference between costs. One big difference in student housing, again, if you're building a four-bedroom, you're building four-bedroom, four-bath, so mm-hmm. there's bed-bath parity. So to the extent that additional bathroom is going to increase right. your cost slightly, um, that's really the add-on on top of the amenities, mm-hmm. which are definitely at a higher level than what you're going to see even in a, in a uh, luxury uh, conventional apartment community. So there isn't a big difference. Um, Obviously, the drivers are stick or concrete or steel, and, and then locality, um, a location. The, uh, if you're building in Philadelphia versus uh, Statesboro, Georgia, there's going to be a significant difference in cost. Um, but uh, you know, I agree with what David just said in terms of the uh, comparison. Okay. And David, what about the financing for existing projects and new development? What do you see out there today in the financing world? You know, I think the financing world has has started to, um, you know, in the last several years, recognize the value of student housing and how it performed during the recession. And as opposed to this super niche product type that people were scared of, they realized that there's, you know, incredible operators out there like a campus apartments um, who, who can, 
you know, handle the, the heavy lifting, if you will, and they're looking to get into the space. So you're starting to see financing loosening up. People are aggressively looking at the space, um, and you're, you're even starting to see some non-recourse, you know, debt financing um, at lower leverage, but um, you're actually starting to see that again. What kind of equity uh, is required? You know, typical deals, it's a 70-30 deal, but that's, that's requiring recourse. Um, but if, if you go lower and you put in a little bit more equity, you, could, you can get rid of some of the repayment guarantees. Okay. And Miles, the experience of, of the sponsor, is that uh, you're seeing that is real important? Yeah, I think most of the lenders out there are going to take a very careful look at uh, who the uh, sponsor is and what their track record is, uh, where they have operated, what their... Uh, what their performance metrics have been um, in their stabilized portfolio. Um, we are constantly uh, getting feedback from whether it be the life companies or GSEs on, uh, you know, experience uh, being for them uh, the most critical uh, aspect, um, and whether it be on the delivery side or on the um, the management side, they they view that as um, probably the, the number one, number two key element that they're looking at. Okay, we're on the break here, David, but quick answer to this question. Is it time to build now? Build now and build fast. <laughs> build now and build fast so you can lease them quickly, right? That's right. And I guess that really does depend uh, on, on the market. This sector is really uh, sub-market specific uh, based around those colleges, right? Absolutely. Very localized. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll take a break here. We'll be uh, right back. As a reminder, you're invited to use the show videos and blog and audio podcasts as informative content for your social media. There's a share bar on each show page, blog, and video. You can find them at commercialrealestateshow.com. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're exploring the student housing industry. My guests are David Nelson with Carter and Miles Orth with Campus Apartment. And Miles, I'd like to talk to you about the investment market. What are some cap rate examples you see in the market, and what do you see for investor demand and sales volume? Sure. Well, cap rates in the, there's there's been a spread and continues to be a spread between student housing and uh, overall apartments, uh, but over the last 12 months. The trades that have occurred in the student housing space are averaging cap of about 6.85%. Um, that compares to just around 6% for the overall um, apartment sales that have uh, taken place. And volume is up significantly in 2012. Um, there were probably 175 trades of properties that took place in the market, or about 30,000 units. Um, that's up pretty significantly over 2011. It still compares, you know, it's small potatoes when compared to the overall apartment market. But uh, what's driving that is investment in the space and uh, in particular institutional investors and REITs uh, looking at the space wanting to get in and uh, that's both driving up um, demand uh, and moving cap rates but it's also uh, uh, driving development of core um, properties, sort of a core investment, core development 
kind of asset. Okay. And, Davey, what do you expect for cap rates moving forward? Uh, we've got a lot of demand from investors, but we also have new construction on the horizon. Yeah, I think you'll see just healthy volumes. Um, I don't think cap rates will compress much more than they've, they've, they have compressed, but we think that they're going to stay where they're at for a little while. Okay. And, uh, guys, can you tell us quickly about uh, where you're building projects uh, right now, Miles? Sure. We're building uh, at Howard University up in the outside of D.C. We're building uh, in a couple of the state system schools in Pennsylvania and also at St. Joe's in Philadelphia. Um, we also just completed our first hotel, which is a little bit outside our, um, our bailiwick, but it's been a great investment so far, and, uh, and that's in Philly. And David? We've got some off-campus projects at Ole Miss, University of Michigan, a new project we're starting in uh, Texas San Antonio, and then some program work um, on campus at Louisiana Lafayette and, and some others in the southeast. Okay. So, Carter, you do fee development as well, right? We do. For the last 20-plus years, we've been on campus doing fee work for universities, building uh, football stadiums or laboratories or 15,000 beds on campus. Okay, great. Can you guys leave us with a tip for our listeners related to student housing miles? I would say if you're getting into the space for the first time, you're contemplating it, work with a uh, seasoned operator, somebody that's made a lot of mistakes and uh, can help um, walk you through the minefield that can exist in the student space. Okay, David? You know, I would just say uh, doing your due diligence and your market study of the, the very localized market is critically important and there's you know huge staying power with these larger universities these top tier universities and if you can get a great location um, and you work with a great operator you'll do all right all right david miles thanks for joining us today guys thanks michael thank you michael if you like more information about or from anyone on the show all the websites and contact information is available at commercialrealestateshow.com if you're playing a drinking game, like I said, uh, sorry, you're going to need a cab home, right? <laughs> Just like the students, hopefully their, their housing is close to the school, right? Okay, well, visit commercialrealestateshow.com. That's the last time. Well, can you join us next week? We'll be discussing the U.S. office market. Our guests include Walter Page with CoStar and David Tenery with Regent Partners. You know, the office market has been slowly improving all across the country. Does that mean rental rates will begin to increase faster than we all expect? Or will the efficient use of space by corporate users keep demand in check? And we've had little to no new supply, right? So how will the lack of new construction affect the market moving forward? Well, we'll surely find out next week, so be sure to join us. And thanks for joining us today. I'm Michael Bull. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by professionals at Bull Realty, Cone Resnick, France Media, Atlanta Office Liquidators, and Weissman, Nowak, Curry, and Wilco. For more information about these companies or to access additional show podcasts or videos, visit commercialrealestateshow.com.